Thank you for tuning in to Voice Epilepsy Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Davidson. On Voice Epilepsy Podcast, we will discuss health and wellness, education, employment, lived experience, and all things epilepsy. Our presenter tonight is Dr. Jing Tan, who is a board-certified neuropsychologist at Vancouver Coastal Health. Dr. Tan obtained her PhD from the University of Victoria and completed her residency and postdoctoral fellowship at the Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in tonight. So first off, memory complaints are very frequent among epilepsy patients. Um, in my line of work, whenever we ask about memory, we often hear all these different reports from patients and their family. Although we consider all of the above memory complaints, each complaint can be due to a very different mechanism. So in today's talk, as Sonia has mentioned, I'm going to briefly describe what is cognition or another word for it is cognitive function. Um, I will also be talking about some reasons why people with epilepsy have cognitive problems. And then I will end with some tips to promote brain health and compensate for cognitive difficulties in everyday life. So what is cognition? Cognition or cognitive functions are simply thinking abilities. In neuropsychology, we split up the various thinking ability into different domains or areas attention, focus, concentration, and the speed uh, at which uh, your brain is able to process information are the basic foundational skills that are first developed. And as we get older, our brains continue to develop and strengthen the connection for various cognitive skills. Executive functions. These are the kind of functions that we consider to be higher order thinking abilities, and they're controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. So these skills include uh, all the various skills that an executive in company would have, such as working memory, which is the ability to hold information in mind and work with them for just a few seconds. Problem solving, planning, organization, decision making, flexible thinking, and impulse control, or what I would call having a social filter to stop yourself from blurting things out that you shouldn't be blurting out in public. Those are all considered executive functions. Another type of cognitive function is language skill. Lang language skills comprise of several different components within a network, and it's spread across the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, as well as the temporal lobe of the brain. So you can see that in the temporal lobe, it's an area of the brain called Broca's area. And this Broca's area is named after the neurologist who identified this area as an important speech production area. And then you have the arcuate fasciculus, which is the white matter that connects Broca's area to the Wernicke's area. So white matters are simply like computer cables that connect your CPU to the monitor screen, to the printer, to different parts of your computer network. And then you have the Wernicke's area, which is the part of the brain that controls speech comprehension. Damage to different part of the language network is going to produce very different type of language problems. And language disturbance like that is what we call aphasia. So you have Broca's aphasia, where people have trouble producing fluent speech. And you have Wernicke's aphasia, where speech comprehension is affected. Most commonly, damage to any part of this language network will result in what we consider to be work-finding problem 
or anomia. It's almost like the tip of the tongue phenomenon where you kind of know exactly what you want to say in your head, but somehow you just cannot retrieve the word and pick it up just as you need to use that word. Now, for most people who are right-handed, their language network is located on the left side of the brain. So what does the right side of the brain do? The right side of the brain is heavily involved in processing visually and spatially based information. Damage to the parietal lobe on the right side can result in problems with spatial awareness, such as judging line angles or judging the angles when you need to make a left turn or the right turn, or um, helping you to keep your car in your lane while you're driving. Learning and memory is a very, very big topic, but I will break it down for you. So we'll start with a very simple explanation of memory. Right here in the picture, you can see we start by attending to the information and then the brain processes and encodes the information before it can be stored for retrieval at a later time. So as you, you can see, the basic foundational skills of attention and processing are both required before learning and memory can take place. First, you have the frontal lobe that attends to and organizes the information that we take in. And then the hippocampus encodes the information for storage in other parts of the brain. So information itself is not stored in the hippocampus. And so even if the hippocampus is removed, the memories that have already been formed are not lost just because they are stored somewhere else, which also means one can hold new information in mind for a few seconds, but that new information cannot be consolidated and stored if you do not have hippocampus which also means that depending on the type of epilepsy one has, people can have different kinds of memory problems. What are the different kinds of memory problems? When we perceive something, the sensory memory holds the sensory information for a split second and is being directed by attention or working memory, controlled by the frontal part of the brain. And when we perceive we generally can perceive more than we can report because the sensory information gets degraded very, very rapidly. Now, working memory lasts from within a few seconds to a minute if you do not rehearse the information. Working memory can store what we now know to be around seven plus or minus two uh, pieces of information. Working memory is heavily dependent on regions of the frontal and parietal lobe. It's sort of like a whole network in the brain. And with repetition or meaningful processing, the information can get consolidated into long-term memory. Now, there are different kinds of long-term memories. We have procedural or implicit memory, which is otherwise known as modal memory. So, for example, somebody learning how to ride a bicycle or drive a stick shift car, that would be more like a modal memory or procedural, like procedure procedural implicit memory. You don't really need to think about it. You kind of just do it as soon as you learn it. Um, another type of memory is declarative or explicit memory. It's more explicit. So you kind of need to pay attention to it. You kind of need to monitor it before you are able to remember uh, and retrieve the memory. And explicit memory can be further divided into episodic memory and semantic memory. Semantic memory are simply facts or concepts such as remembering the meaning of words or uh, remembering who the last prime minister was. On the other hand, you have episodic memory, which are more related to experiences or events, such as a birthday party you attended last week 
or what you had for breakfast this morning. Another type of episodic memory is what we consider to be autobiographical memory. So autobiography, you know, such as knowing what year you graduated high school. Other way to think about memory would be prospective and retrospective memory. Prospective memory is pretty much remembering things and events that are going to happen in the future, such as remembering uh, when your dental appointment is or when this webinar is going to take place in the future. Retrospective memory is simply things that happen in the past. So memories of past events. What are some causes or reasons people with epilepsy have cognitive problems? It all depends on the type and location of seizures because seizures can arise from different parts of the brain. As we learned just now, different brain areas are involved in different cognitive functions. So depending on the type and location of the seizures, we're going to see different kinds of cognitive problems. For example, temporal lobe epilepsy is one of the most common type of seizure and epilepsy. So if the seizures arise from the temporal lobe, say for example, on the left side, we would expect language to be affected. In addition, because the temporal lobe is also involved in memory from formation, memory is potentially going to be affected too. On the other hand, if seizures arise from the right side of the temporal lobe, we would expect visually based information to be affected, such as recognizing people's faces or where you park your car, um, those are all going to be affected. Interestingly, there has been some studies that looked at the profile of people with temporal lobe epilepsy. They found three different clusters. The first cluster are people with absolutely no cognitive problems at all, despite having temporal lobe epilepsy. A second cluster are the ones with primarily memory and language problems. And the third cluster of people with temporal lobe epilepsy generally show generalized cognitive problems. There's no specific cognitive problems, but it's just general. And then you have your frontal lobe epilepsy. As we learned, the frontal lobe is related to um, planning, organization, and the executive dysfunction. So what we would expect would be executive functions, such as being disorganized in your day-to-day -day life, or being really impulsive in making decisions without thinking about things through. Um, people just make very split decisions and very impulsive or blurting things out they really shouldn't be blurting out in public. And then you have people with convulsions that affect cognitive functioning a lot more than the smaller seizures where people don't even lose their awareness. Now, frequency and severity of seizures can also affect cognitive functioning. The more frequent and severe the seizures are, the worse affected the cognitive functions are. Uh, one example is what we call status epilepticus. So status epilepticus are simply uh, prolonged seizures that last longer than five minutes. And we know that for people who experience status epilepticus, often they do take a few weeks to months to recover after they recover from the status epilepticus, whereas some other people may suffer secondary damage to the brain that permanently affect their cognitive functioning. One of the more commonly affected brain region is the hippocampus. And so we would expect that for people who have prolonged seizure and they never quite recover from it and it's caused secondary um, problem, such as scar tissue, causing scar tissue within the hippocampus, that's when they may have problems consolidating 
new information and learning new memories. Cognitive functions can also be affected by how chronic the epilepsy illness has been. I often get asked if people with chronic epilepsy would develop dementia. Well, that's quite a, quite a difficult question to answer because as you see, it really depends on the type, the location, the frequency, and the severity of the seizures. However, one study took a look at this uh, very question. So if this is a cross-sectional study, so essentially what they did was to compare the performance of H-match healthy control with um, people with mild cognitive impairment, which is simply the intermediary between normal aging and dementia. So these people with mild cognitive impairment are older adults who don't have normal aging memory, but they're not necessarily so impaired that they are considered to be having dementia. The study also looked at seniors with epilepsy. So generally, these seniors in the study have epilepsy for at least 10 years to over 30 years. They have at least one seizure a month, and um, most of them take at least two seizure medications for the entire time they have been diagnosed with epilepsy. So this study, seniors with epilepsy perform worse than those with mild cognitive impairment, but those with healthy, those who are healthy perform better than those, with, uh, those who are diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. However, none of these groups perform at the level which would be considered having dementia. The underlying cause of seizures can also affect cognitive functions. The location of the tumor or stroke or head injuries, those can all cause seizures and these can all affect cognitive functions in very different ways depending on the location. So if you have read the book or watched the movie Brain on Fire, you will know about autoimmune causes of seizures. So there are many different types of autoimmune disorders that can cause seizures. Um, so in that movie and the book, they describe the journey of a young woman who suddenly developed confusion, memory problems, as well as psychiatric issues, hallucinations, um, seizures, and then she eventually was diagnosed with NMDA receptor encephalitis, and then she was treated very successfully, all in a span of several different several months. Now, it has been reported that people who are treated for their autoimmune causes of epilepsy early tend to have better outcome cognitive-wise, but that's not the case for all autoimmune causes. So there are other cognitive phenomena that can be seen in epilepsy. First, I'll talk about transient cognitive impairment. Um, that is a temporary disruption in responding and is associated with interrictal epilepticum discharges, which are the isolated spike and wave electrical discharges uh, generated by cells that are epileptic um, and that can happen even when people are not have actively having seizures. So with these electrical abnormalities, you often see attentional problems, reaction time slowing or slow processing speed, as well as some other memory problems. So crowding effect is another very interesting cognitive phenomenon. In people who have frequent seizures since infancy, there could be reorganization of cognitive function. Earlier, I mentioned that the left hemisphere is typically involved in language-based functions, 
whereas the right hemisphere, the right side of the brain, is typically involved in visual, spatial, face function. Now, in what we call as the crowding effect, those with frequent left temporal lobe seizures who should have that typical language-based memory problems, while their visual-based memory should be good, they actually show the reverse because it seems that as a result of having very frequent seizures at a, at a very young age while language skills are still developing, language functions transfer to the right side of the brain and crowds out the visual-spatial functions. It is less commonly seen among people who develop um, epilepsy or seizures at an older age, and is more commonly seen in people who uh, develop frequent seizures before age five. I'm going to mention one more phenomenon that has been seen in people with temporal lobe epilepsy called transient epileptic amnesia. This is not a really well understood entity. So essentially, you can see three different kinds of symptoms in transient epileptic amnesia or TEA for short. People experience brief and self-limiting episodes of memory loss. And these memory loss are not because they are actively having seizures. That's why they have these memory loss. And they, are, they tend to be very brief, few seconds to few minutes. These people with TEA also often complain about autobiographical memory loss, whereby they cannot remember much about their childhood, whereas their more recent memory tends to be slightly better. Lastly, they also show this pattern of accelerated long-term forgetting. What does that mean? On the left is a graph showing memory for word list, and on the right is a graph showing memory for designs. And this is based on teaching people um, a word list or the designs, and then getting them to remember um, the words or the designs after 30 minutes, after one week, or after three weeks. They both show somewhat similar pattern here. On the top, um, that line represents the percentage of words healthy people learn and retain after 30 minutes or one week or three weeks delay. So as you can see, some level of forgetting is typical in healthy individuals. However, those with TEA generally perform similarly to healthy people within 30 minutes. So after 30 minutes delay, they remember pretty similar information to healthy people. But after a week, their memory of information dropped to 30%. And then if you split those TEA folks um, between those who complain about accelerated long-term forgetting and those who do not, there's, there's further differentiation with those who complain about long-term forgetting, retaining only 10% of the words after a week, whereas those who do not complain about long-term forgetting retain about 50%. So it can vary from person to person, but essentially the whole idea is, first, it is very typical for healthy people to forget information. However, in the subset of people with temporal lobe epilepsy, they also have this TEA phenomenon with accelerated long-term forgetting where they are forgetting a lot more than is typical for healthy forgetting. So in addition to epilepsy itself, it should not be surprising to know that other factors can also contribute to cognitive problems. Um, seizure medications is something that people with epilepsy would have to take. And we know that older generation seizure medications such as valproic acid or phenytoin, another name for it is valentin, typically affect speed of processing and attention. So um, that seems to be a very common complaint 
um, of people who take these older generation of seizure medications. The newest generation of seizure medications, such as Lumotrigine or Lumictol for the brand name, um, Levetiracetam, or commonly known as Capra, because nobody really knows how to pronounce this word. Um, these tend to be better for cognitive side effects, um, with the exception of topiramate, also known as Topomex. That's one new generation epilepsy medication that seems to give rise to word finding problem very soon after people start taking the medication. Now, if you stop the medication quick enough, um, your word finding problems tend to go away. Um, but for some other people, it, it, it does take a much longer time for their work finding problem to resolve after they stop taking to pyramid. But of course, it is a very difficult balance to choose the right drug for seizure control versus the cognitive side effects because if your seizure control is not good, you're going to have cognitive side effects too. So another thing is poor sleep. I don't know about you, but for me, if I don't get a good night's sleep, all bets are off for tomorrow. I will have massive word finding problems. I cannot think straight. I cannot pay attention. I have this whole thought blocking kind of uh, this experience where I know what I want to say, but I'm too sluggish. I can't say it. So we know that poor sleep quality can also affect cognitive functioning. And particularly, chronic poor sleep quality is deleterious to brain health. And in fact, it actually increases the risk for developing dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease. So sleep is very important, not just in people with epilepsy, but also in everybody even if people who are healthy. So lastly, you have depression and anxiety, which are very common in people with epilepsy, both due to the neurobiological reasons, as well as the reaction to having a chronic condition that affects many aspects of one's life. Um, mood and anxiety issue can also give rise to cognitive complaints in people with epilepsy, but this does not necessarily translate to objectively measured cognitive problems. So, cognitive complaints, common, but not necessarily measurable. So this is one study that looks just at that question. I promise you, this is going to be the... So this table shows the correlation between subjective memory complaints, various mood and anxiety, and objective cognitive test results among healthy people and people with epilepsy. So you have the item in this box here that shows significant positive correlation between depression and anxiety and subjective memory complaints for everybody. If you have depression and anxiety, whether you're healthy or with epilepsy, you're more likely to complain about having memory issues. People who are depressed and anxious, definitely more likely to complain of memory issues. However, over here in the next uh, three boxes here, you see that only healthy people show a correlation between their objective memory test performance and subjective memory complaints. Those who perform poorly on the objective test are more, like, more likely to complain about more memory issues. So when you look at objective measures of memory, there's actually nothing to do with subjective memory complaints among people with epilepsy. Measures of attention, focus, intelligence, and visual skills also have no correlation with subjective memory complaints for everyone. Now, I don't want you to walk away thinking that, oh, people who are depressed um, are simply just making, making things up. Well, 
it is as real as people with memory issues. If they are experiencing that feeling, it is as real as people with memory issues if it's going to affect their day-to-day -day life. Lastly, because most of my work deals with surgery, so I feel like it is necessary for me to touch upon um, a little bit about the effect of surgery, brain surgery for epilepsy um, on cognitive functions. Um, but it really depends, again, on the specific part of the brain where the surgery is going to take place. So in the next slide, I'm going to review some pre and post-surgical cognitive test results of somebody who underwent left temporal lobe resection, surgery in the left temporal lobe. Um, I think you may be surprised by some of the findings, but first, I'm going to highlight that not everybody who goes for brain surgery will experience meaningful decline in their everyday living. Investigating for surgical suitability is a very individualized process. So some people are found suitable, others are not. And deciding whether or not to take the risk of cognitive changes with surgery is also a very individualized decision based upon the impact of seizures versus cognitive problems um, you have in your life. So here we go. This is a 29-year-old person um, working in um, a call center. Before the surgery, she really didn't have very much cognitive complaints at all when, when I interviewed her. Um, so very briefly, she first had convulsions as a teenager, and at the time when she was undergoing the pre-surgical investigation, she mostly had focal seizures with a impaired awareness up to about three times a month. After all the investigations were completed, she was found quite suitable for left temporal lobe resection, um, with the understanding that there could be some impact on her language skills and memory. So this graph shows her cognitive profile completed six, uh, before the surgery as well as six months after the surgery. The dotted line across the graph shows the cutoff for impaired scores on various cognitive tests that was done before the surgery. She did well across the board. So she's that cluster of people with temporal lobe epilepsy who do not have any cognitive problems at all. Six months after the surgery, um, her IQ, her general intellectual functioning, remained fairly stable, um, and bearing in mind that she's free of seizure after surgery. Um, but there was some decline in attention, as well as um, a lot of decline in naming, which is that word finding um, problem, as well as verbal or language-based memory uh, on, on delay. And on the other hand, you might see that there are certain lighter color bars that looks taller than the darker color bars. So what does that mean? In fact, there are several different areas where she has shown improvements. So things like her processing speed seems to have improved dramatically. Her executive functions have improved dramatically. Um, there has even been an improvement in her memory for visually based information. Wow, why is that so? Why is that an improvement? Well, this is what we call the release phenomenon. So imagine that your brain, and this is what I always tell um, um, my clients, imagine that your brain is a big apartment building with a very noisy neighbor, which is that noisy uh, uh, seizure focus. So when you have a noisy neighbor, nobody in the apartment building is able to work peacefully and effectively and efficiently. 
But once you remove that noisy neighbor, everybody else in the building can now work efficiently and therefore you see the improvement in other brain areas. So what can I do to protect brain health? This is a question that um, people tend to ask a lot as well. And I think it is very important and should really be the focus for um, everybody, epilepsy or not. There are many variety of different things that people can do to protect their brain health. Um, and these recommendations, as I mentioned, is good for everybody. So pay attention. Tata, what you see as the main um, keyword here, physical activity, especially aerobic exercise. That seems to be the number one thing anybody, everybody can do for their brain health. So we know that from studies that have been done, even walking an extra few blocks every day has measurable impact on their brain health. Um, healthy people who exercise on a regular basis are more likely to delay the onset of dementia than those who do not exercise. Whatever you do in your 30s and 40s also have impact on your 70s and 80s. So start now, not tomorrow, not till you're 50, not till you're 80 start now. So in the past, physicians have advised people with epilepsy against uh, aerobic exercise, but it seems that recent studies are suggesting something totally different. Um, aerobic exercise have been shown to help manage stress, and stress is a very common trigger for seizures in many people. And so that could be the reason why people who exercise on a regular basis see a reduction in their seizure frequency um, but that's not to say once you sign up for a triathlon next season, start small, start with three times a week, 30 minutes each session, um, get your heart rate going um, because anything that's good for your heart is also good for your brain. We want to get your heart pumping so that you can pump more oxygen into your brain to oxygenate your brain. So this last study was published early this year and showed that inactive adults with epilepsy perform much better on executive functions, attention and language skills following physical activities than those who do not do any physical activities at all. So those who remain inactive um, in this study didn't do as well. And just 12 weeks of physical training of just two 60-minute sessions per week actually show measurable improvement in executive functions, attention, and language skills. So get walking, get running, um, go on your exercise bike. Make sure you also uh, practice seizure precaution while you do all the various different kinds of exercises. Um, some strength training components should also be included. And I usually advise people to consider doing yoga, particularly those yoga with a meditative component that's also helpful for brain health benefits. Now, in addition to exercise, various dietary factors can also affect cognitive functions. Food rich in antioxidants and omega-3 fatty acids have been found to be fabulous brain food. So eat more of your berries, they're very delicious, um, your nuts, your oily fish, just for your brain health benefits, if not for the great flavors. Um, we know that fresh produce, especially those with dark green leafy leaves and bright colored vegetables are also very rich in brain nutrients. So spices such as cinnamon and curry have also found to have beneficial effects on brain health. Now, whenever I mention cinema, cinnamon as a brain food, I have clients telling me, oh sweet, I love cinnamon bun. Well, I want to caution against eating too much cinnamon buns, not because of the cinnamon, but because of the sugar. Just saying. So I mentioned earlier that poor sleep quality, especially if 
over a long period is going to be deleterious to brain health. So I would encourage everybody to practice sleep hygiene. Make sure you maintain good sleep routine going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, including the weekend. Um, and also include, um, that's also include other routine that you may do prior to bed, like, you know, taking a nice warm bath or drinking warm chamomile tea. And also avoid caffeinated products, whether it's chocolate, coffee, tea, cola, just before bedtime. Even energy drinks, avoid that few hours before bedtime. Also have your emotionally stimulating conversations with your partner earlier in the day, not, not in bed. Also avoid watching Netflix on your tablet or, or laptop in bed. Don't do that. It's not good. So finally, ensure that your bedroom is dark, quiet, and cool for comfortable sleep. And if you have electronic in your bedroom, make sure they are not emitting any light because even a small amount can affect your sleep. So generally, if you cannot fall asleep within 20 minutes, I would encourage you to get up and and walk around so that uh, when you get tired again, you can go straight back, uh, straight back to bed. Don't pause and turn because that's not going to help. But if you find that your sleep continues to be really bad, even after you put in rigorous effort to improve your sleep hygiene, you may need to consider talking to a psychologist who specializes in sleep um, to help you with some behavioral strategies uh, for your sleep issue. So I'm going to go through a few other compensatory strategies here. The first one is called chunking. We know that very well, that if you think about these nine letters over there and ask you to remember it right away, it's going to be quite difficult. However, if you chunk it up into three chunks, it makes it way easier to remember. Um, remember the convention is we remember seven plus or minus two pieces of information. Smartphones have a lot of great apps these days. So consider using a smartphone calendar, voice recorders to take brief messages. Those are all very helpful. Um, the key thing though is active learning and using mnemonics, writing summary notes, drawing mind maps for remembering different concepts. You know, you have different bubbles connecting to each other, um, actively connecting those is going to help you process the information, rehearse the information and help with encoding and uh, 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 storing the information. The more enriched the information to be learned, the better your memory of it is going to be. And then use one memory place for all your personal belongings. Um, um, I encourage people to consider um, putting a big bowl beside their door to put all their wallet, their keys, the glasses, cell phones in the big bowl. So when you are leaving the house, everything is just there. Pick it up and walk out. But of course, make sure you lock the door. And then make sure you keep your work desk tidy so that there's not a lot of visual distraction. So one other thing that I want to talk about would be a goal management. This is particularly helpful for people with problems in executive function. And these are the steps that you can take. So first stop, define the main problem, define the main task that you need to do, and then break it down into smaller chunks and write down the steps required to complete to complete the task in a list format. So it's well organized that way if executive function is not a strong suit for you. Once you've done the task, I want you to stick to the task, stick to the steps listed um, and avoid rewriting them because you're going to get more confused if you try to rewrite the steps and rewrite the whole list. And then once you're done, check, am I doing what I plan to do? Um, that should help with managing your goal and achieving tasks. So the last thing is what we call memory palace. And this is what Benedict Cumberbatch did in Sherlock Holmes, where he was staring off in space when he's trying to reach into his memory palace 
to remember information. So this is what you need to do. So for example, you're trying to remember your shopping list. I want you to use spatial information to aid in your memory. I want you to picture a familiar room such as your living room. I don't know if your living room is this pretty, but we'll just imagine that it is your living room and it's this pretty. So you make sure you know all the furniture in your living room and then you can picture them in your brain um, in order to use this effectively. Then as you walk around the room, place your grocery item on the furniture. So for example, as I mentally walk through the door, I place a dangling bunch of carrots by the picture frame and then some brown apples on the drawer uh, with a round wheel on the wall. And then I place some hot peppers under the hot table lamp to help them grow in the heat. And then I place my daughter's favorite grapes on her armchair, her favorite armchair. And then I grow six of asparagus out of the bowl of pebbles um, on the coffee table before I leave some hot tomatoes on the white sofa. Um, but I must be careful not to sit on the sofa and the tomato because I don't want red tomato juice to stain my sofa. And then I'm ready to go to the store. And then once I get to the store, I'm going to pull up the image of my living room again and start to walk through the door picking up the bunch of carrots dangling on the picture frame. And then I go by the round wheel um, by the drawer to pick up my round apples. And then under the hot table lamp to pick up my peppers and my daughter's favorite fruit on her favorite armchair, which are the grapes. And then what is this thing sticking out of that pebble in the bowl? Oh yeah, asparagus. Uh, oh yeah, let's not forget the tomatoes because I don't want to sit on it and stain my my white sofa. So that is the memory palace that Benedict Cumberbatch used in um, Sherlock Holmes and essentially is using a very familiar spatial information to help with the memory. Okay, so that's really all I have to say today. Thanks for tuning in to the Voice Epilepsy podcast. Make sure to follow us on all of our BCES and I'm a Voice for Epilepsy Awareness social media platforms. In closing, remember, you matter and you are not alone. Make Thursdays our Epilepsy Date Night with Epilepsy Voice Podcasts.